Kids, uh, you're in here today. Um, this is a, this service uh, has impact for you, but it might be something that's a little bit boring, so I'm going to ask you to like, try to focus as best you can. Um, and, and the reason I, I say that is because uh, what we're talking about today is actually about, um, it's going to have a direct impact on how you are raised um, in this place and in this culture. Um, we're going to be really honest today about where, where we are, where we're headed, and that's going to um, impact you. And so hear me when I say that um, this message is for you, and normally I would bring you up and like, you know, give you candy and touch and stuff, but I'm not allowed to do that. So today, just fall asleep in the pews, wake up for the important parts, your parents will nudge you, uh, and, and, and do your best to stay with me. Um... <laughs> We, we, are, we, have, we, have, we have crossed into, we'll just think about this, you know, in 1990, I grew up kind of in the 80s and 90s, and at that time, I was aware of a thing called political correctness, right? Political correctness was kind of the way that we would speak in such a way as to not offend people. Um, and, and I think there was a lot of value in that, you know, I, I grew up and I very rarely heard really offensive speech, but when I did, it, was, it bothered me a lot, like it made me upset. Um, and, and PC was kind of a way to avoid that. And so we wouldn't say things that were, you know, potentially offensive to different people. And that was kind of a nice sort of attitude to have. Interestingly, in the last, say, about 20 years, from 1990 to 2010, a radical transformation took place in the way that our cultural elites um, think, act, and speak. To the point that now, depending on where you're at, you may be confronted by people who um, simply will ruin your life if you don't think the way that they think. Uh, as you know, I, I teach classes in grad school. Fortunately, it's an evangelical graduate school, um, Fuller, so I, I'm, I'm insulated from some of this. But I have a lot of colleagues and friends who literally live in fear of their students. They're, they're, they, 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 they police their language because their students are so on the lookout for a language that could be um, racist, uh, homophobic, transphobic, um, the list goes on and on, uh, that they can literally lose their jobs or have their lives ruined if someone complains about them. Which is to say nothing about um, the whether or not people are right or wrong when they, they say certain things, only that we are starting to live in an environment where there is a sort of a grand narrative, a grand truth about the way the world is, okay? And insofar as you do not deviate from that, you'll be okay. But we are moving into a place where increasingly deviation from that, public speech that deviates from the, the, the story the culture likes to tell about itself is punished. And some of the things that the historical Christian church has believed and, ta- and, and taught for thousands of years do not fit with that grand story. And I believe that you and I are headed for a time within our lifetimes where we will see serious persecution of the church. Probably not from the government, um, but from our cultural 
elites. So let's see what the Bible has to say about that. This is from Acts 5. Then the high priest took action. He and all who were with him, that is the sect of the Sadducees, were filled with zealous rage, arrested the apostles and made a big show of putting them in prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors, brought them out and said, Go, stand in the courts of the temple and tell the people everything about this life. And I've capitalized the L there. When they heard this, uh, the, the apostles, they entered the temple at daybreak and went on with their teaching. When the high priest and his associates arrived, they convened the Jerusalem council, the complete assembly of Israel's elders, and sent word to the prison to have them brought out. But when they arrived at the jail, the temple police didn't find them in the prison. So they returned to the high priest and the council and reported, We found the pr- prison securely locked, the guards standing at the doors. When we opened them, no one was inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were dumbfounded about them, wondering what might be happening. Then someone arrived and announced, Look, the very men you put in prison are standing back in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the temple police and brought them back. But interestingly, they used no force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. When they had brought them, they had them stand before the council. The high priest questioned them, saying, Hey, we gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, Jesus. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. You're determined to bring this man's blood on us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors, Yahweh, raised up Jesus, the one you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as ruler and savior, so he could give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey obey him. When the authorities heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. To, to start out, what's just happened, right? Then the high priest took action. I have a, a picture here of uh, Peter and the apostles preaching on Solomon's porch. Uh, they had been, so, you know, Jesus has been raised from the dead. Uh, the, the gospel's going out. And, and Peter and the apostles, they, every week, they go, and, or every day, actually, they go to the, the temple courts and they proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah, the resurrected one. Right? And, and, and it's interesting, Luke tells us no one else does this. Everyone else is afraid to do what the apostles are doing. Okay? Uh, because they know this is going to be very, very offensive to the authorities. Why? We'll talk about that in a second. But the bottom line is, they've been going out, they've been preaching, they've been healing, they've been doing all this stuff, and now the authorities are getting upset. Now the, the high priest has had enough. He said, you guys have done what you're doing long enough, I'm going to take care of business. All right, going back to the text. So what did he do? He and those who were with him, the sect, the Sadducees, these are... Um, Primarily known for not believing in the resurrection of the dead, but really you should hear in Sadducees, you should see, you should hear wealthy, politically connected elites. Okay? Highly educated. Um, the Sadducees were the, were the top tier of, uh, of Jerusalem society. They were filled with zealous rage. If you uh, read modern translations, you'll hear filled with jealousy, which is a way that the word zealous can be translated. Zealous, where we get our word zealot or zealous as the Greek here. Um, but it can mean both uh, zeal and it can also mean jealousy. And jealousy is true, except that it's not the jealousy we think of. Okay, When we hear that they're filled with jealousy, it sounds to us like um, that, that Peter and the apostles are you know, the Channel 4 news team. They're number one in the ratings. 
and, uh, and, and Wes Mantooth and the, the Sadducees are, are jealous of them. They want better ratings. It sounds like they're jealous that, that Peter and the apostles are getting uh, the, the numbers, right? That's not what's happening. They don't care about the numbers. What they care about is that Peter and the apostles are teaching something that does not fit with the grand truth that they espouse. The religious elites and political elites of Jerusalem believe the, the, the story they tell is that someday a guy is going to come and he's going to be the Messiah. He's going to lead us to victory, political power. We're going to rule over the world in God's name behind this man's actions. And these guys are telling you that no, in fact, actually he got tortured to death for blasphemy and sedition, rose from the dead, and is now offering spiritual redemption, not political redemption. And they are very, very, very upset about that. Because that is going to ruin the structure and the status that they've developed over hundreds of years. If people start to believe this, they won't be looking to the religious elites to bring them political power anymore. They're going to start looking to God to forgive sins in Jesus' name. They're going to look to God to raise the dead and bring new life out of death. And we can't have that, can we? So they made a big show of putting them in prison. Technically, uh, the Greek here is putting them in a public prison. Um, but that's kind of weird for us because we don't have prisons that are out in the open where people can see anymore. So I... But the point is, is that they're shaming the apostles, right? They're, they're putting them in a place, kind of like the stocks, where they're expecting everyone to come around and look at them. It's like, this is what happens when you depart from the truth. I have the picture here. Brendan Eich, I'd like to bring him up from time to time. 2014, Brandon Icke uh, invented the code that led to Mozilla Firefox, uh, your favorite web browser and mine. Um, he was, in 2014, promoted to uh, CEO of Mozilla. Within a week, he resigned because it was found out that six years prior, he had donated $1,000 to the Proposition 8 campaign uh, to ban same-sex marriage in California. He donated $1,000 six years before this happened. Up until Brendan Eich was CEO, nobody cared. Nobody cared. But suddenly, you've got a guy who's CEO, and, and he has some beliefs, some thoughts, that don't fit the Silicon big tech, Silicon Valley narrative of how life is supposed to be. Interestingly, uh, Prop 8 passed handily in California. Imagine this. Just try to imagine. 12 years ago, it was the, the majority, the vast majority opinion in the most progressive state in the nation, California, that same-sex marriage uh, should not be allowed. 12 years ago. Today, same-sex marriage is axiomatic. It is assumed by everyone, by all of Brendan Ike's friends in Sil Silicon Valley, San Francisco, all the people who went to the same schools, all the people who imbibed the same truth, know that the whole point of human life is to discover who you are and become happy. 
And that's what we're supposed to do. And, it, and if that means uh, certain you know, sexual arrangements, if that means uh, certain, a lot of different things, uh, different ways of doing life, that's okay, that's good. We encourage that. Brendan Ike dissented from that narrative. And so they made a big show of firing him or getting him fired. Why? Is it because they cared about Brendan Ike? No. It's because they wanted you to know what would happen to you if you shared his opinions. Interestingly, uh, <laughs> earlier in the narrative, we, we skipped the part, but uh, the, it says, you know, the, the, everyone's scared to get up and say what the apostles are saying, but it says the people loved it. The people held the apostles, Peter and the apostles, in very high esteem because they had the courage to go out and say what the rest of them couldn't because they were threatened. They were worried what would happen to them. And just like Brendan Ike, the authorities that be, make, they punish one or two high-profile figures so that everyone else re- realizes what's going to happen to you if you put your head too far up. Stay low. The first uh, thing to think about when we're talking about not living by lies or living not by lies, hostile elites publicly shame <laughs> to suppress the majority. Guess what? All the people of Jerusalem were like, these guys have it right. But the elites didn't like that. And the elites wanted to make sure that the majority of you stayed low. Going back to the text. So, uh, a miraculous thing happens, right? They take them, they put them in the public prison where they're supposed to be ridiculed and, and shamed. And then in the middle of the night, an angel comes, sets them free. They go back and they start preaching again. All right, well, uh, in the morning, the high priest is going to get back. They're going to figure out what they're going to do with their prisoners, right? And so what do they do? They arrive and they, they convene the Jerusalem council, the complete assembly of Israel's elders. And when you're an elder here, you should think about people who have achieved a lot, are very well connected, um, they might be business people, political leaders. Uh, these are people who have a lot of clout, right? They have a lot of influence, right? And they're all together. And they send word to the prison to have Peter and the apostles brought out. What's going on here? Well, what the high priest knows is he knows that the people are against him. He knows the people are siding with the apostles, but he needs to create an illusion. An illusion. That, the, that the, the real majority is against the apostles. He needs to find people who are respectable, who are wise, who are rich. And he needs to get them all together. And they all need to make a public spectacle. These guys are no good. They departed from the grand truth. They didn't, they're, they're, they're liars, they're liars, they're liars. And we got to make an example of them. Another picture. It used to be. That when people got mad, they would take to the streets and they would light up torches and hold pitchforks and they would find like a politician they didn't like or somebody that they thought was bad and they would, you know, hang them from a lamppost. A mob. That was what used to happen in the good old days of America. We don't do that anymore. It's really, I mean, it's, it's really sad how we've, we've fallen away from good old fashioned, like just mobs out there burning and pillaging, like the Vikings, you know? Instead, we do something different now. Uh, instead, you know uh, of uh, Justine Sacco, of course. Uh, 2016, Justine Sacco. She was the... <laughs> you guys don't know Justine Sacco? This is a great story. So uh, <laughs> she um, was flying to South Africa 
Uh, she worked in a ma major media company. Like she was like a director of marketing or something. And uh, she was going to South Africa to visit family. And before she left uh, Heathrow, so she's an American. She went to London, then London straight to South Africa. So before she leaves Heathrow, she tweets. Okay, and she does a tweet about, uh, I think it's like, it, it was a kind of an off-color, um, it was an offensive tweet. It was something kind of racist, I think. But it was supposed to be like a joke. And she didn't care because she only had like 107 fo seven followers on Twitter. So no one's even going to read this, right? She's just entertaining herself. Plane takes off. Now, back in 2016, we didn't have internet on the plane, right? So you, you shut your phone down and you have no communication. Well, she, it's an 11-hour flight. So 11 hours, she's flying and she takes a nap. She goes to sleep. While this happens, her tweet goes viral. Uh, her, her tweet gets shared by all the people who decide spontaneously that she's a horrible racist and deserves to die. What they then do is they, they marshal all of their other friends on Twitter... Um, and apparently there's a lot of them. And they, they started attacking her company, IAC, this media corporation. I think they run like Investopedia and Vimeo and some other things. And they're like, you have a virulent, racist, horrible human working for you. You need to fire her. So for this, during this 11-hour flight, the, the highest trending Twitter hashtag was, how long till she lands? The plane lands in Johannesburg. She turns on her phone. You've been fired. Your friends all hate you. You're alone. She made it back once the one said all blew over like two years later they hired her back but she didn't think that was going to happen uh notice that twitter is what one percent of the united states population two percent people are active twitter users well have a twitter but no one actually uses it except for one to two percent of americans this vanishingly small minority of people swell up with their pitchforks and their torches and they find person of the week that we're supposed to hate and they ruin our life. Good to know that this is not a new tactic. It's exactly the same thing that happened to Peter and the apostles. The, the, the small, very powerful, very connected, very influential elite got together and they all decided they were going to ruin these guys' lives to protect the truth. If you're living not by lies, know this. In the digital age, mobs formed on Twitter are more powerful than pitchforks and torches. And we as a community, uh, dude, kids. Okay, is Alice here? Alice. Okay, this is why you are not allowed to have social media. Okay? Because there's a crazy thing about the internet. The internet is forever. Everything you put on there will never, ever, 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 ever go away. And there might be somebody out there who wants to destroy you, and they can look, and they can find it, and years later, they can try to ruin your life. So when we talk about the way we're going to operate in this brave new world, we have to be very, very careful about the things we say and the things we do. Lucy. 
I'm talking to you. How old are you? What? 13. You are on the cusp. And you are already a part of a culture that is demanding that you have an online presence. That you show how great your life is. That you prove to the world that you're a worthwhile human being. And the only way you can do that is to post selfies on Instagram. Do not live by that lie. Because while it's just social right now, think how devastating it would be if one person turned on you and got a small cadre of of elite influencers to turn on you and to ruin your life. It can happen. And I don't mean to be angry and scary about it, but it's true. And it might get worse. And so I want you to be very, very, very careful about how you handle these things. And when I say Lucy, of course, I'm referring to everyone. Hey, Chris. Welcome back, buddy. How's school? Good. All right. Good to hear it. You too, man. I mean, you know because you're a lot older. The, the social pressure is enormous. And it's not a coincidence that an adolescent suicide has rapidly increased over the last 10 years. Back to the text. This is cool. The temple police, okay, so, right, so the apostles are preaching again. They're out there, on, and the, 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 sad, the Jerusalem council is dumbfounded. They have no idea what's going on. They send the cops. Um, by the way, you shouldn't think of um, these people just as religious people. Like, it says high priest, but in Israel that was a political appointment as much as it was a religious one. And they had their own, like, police force uh, that they could use. It was under the aegis of, of Rome, but they could operate mostly independently. And so they sent their cops uh, to get Peter and the apostles. And when they get there, notice this, they use no force because <laughs> they're afraid of being stoned by the people. The cops get there, and they realize, uh-oh, there's a lot of people who like these guys. And if we start to take them back to jail, we could be in for a lot of trouble. So, if you're Peter and the apostles... And you see that you have a way to resist the mob, right? Resist the powerful elites. You should take advantage. That's why God gave us a second amendment. So that, so that when, when the black helicopters come, you can whip out, you know, your nine millimeter and fight back, right? Say no to oppression. No. They had every opportunity to stay out of jail. They could have just told the cops, some other time, bro. Instead, they did this. Next one, yeah. I love this. One of my favorite pictures of Martin Luther King Jr. It's, uh, because it's so clear. Just this image, it's iconic because you can totally tell exactly what's happening. He's been marching. For equal rights. The police and the elites don't like it. So they decide to arrest him. And the people that are marching with him are ready to get violent. They're ready to take, take care of business. And they see their leader, you know, being handcuffed, being manhandled, and they're about to, to jump on the authority. And, and Luther, Martin Luther said, Not now. I'm ready for this. I've been preparing for this. 
You doing that is not going to win. I can take it. Believe me. Peter and the apostles, they knew that they had transgressed the great truth. But see, they had already given up everything to follow Jesus. And so they had nothing else to lose. And so they were willing to be jailed. They were willing to be accosted. They were willing to die. And almost all of them eventually did for their faith. It says here, a Christian um, resistance is nonviolent, uh, but not passive. And, and that's true. That's an important facet of how we as a community are not going to live by lies. Um, but it's worth noting uh, that the people who do end up in jail, the people who do end up sacrificing something, losing something, they're people who've counted the cost. And they're people who um, typically in Christian tradition are single um, because if you have a family and you cross a line, your family can be used, can be threatened to, to be used against you. And that happened to Martin Luther King Jr. Young people. Lauren. Jacob. Since you guys might get married, it's not a done deal. If there's no ring, there's no ring. But since, since you might get married, um, you're going to have something to lose. You're going to have a family. Um, and as a result, you probably aren't going to be the people that God calls uh, to resist in this way. Out loud. But Strauss, since the chances of you ever being married are close to zero... You're going to be our guy. Um, and, and there's a joke there, of course, but there's also something very true about it. If the culture continues to turn and continues to systematically marginalize uh, people of Orthodox faith, then we're going to have to have a network strategy um, of how we can keep proclaiming the truth publicly and yet at the same time not have our families destroyed um, as a result of it. And I'll talk a little bit more about that later. Back to the text. <laughs> so they come back. They're, they're willing. They're like, okay, okay, cops, take us there. They get in front. Of the, here's the whole Jerusalem council. The Twitter mob is there, and the, the Twitter mob says, we gave you strict orders. We told you guys not to teach in his name. Notice that the, they don't say, we didn't ask you not to teach. We love religion. We think it's super helpful. It helps so many people. It's so good. Just, just don't teach the religion that, that disrupts the truth. Right? Don't teach a religion that, that's, that somehow that, that pokes holes in this beautiful story that we tell. Here in America, you know, I, I, I seriously doubt that at any point anyone's going to, you know, I mean, maybe. Maybe they'll get so hostile they want to burn churches. But, but chances are it's not going to go that way. Uh, because 
a lot of people are religious. <coughs> what might happen, though, what might happen is that they, they, they kind of say, hey, if you want to be a part of America, just leave out the, the, some of these really offensive things you say. Just downplay them. Okay, don't get out there and, 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 and talk about this. Just, just leave it under the rug, okay? Because if you do that, we have no, we think it's great that you're out there teaching and healing and helping people. Man, we love the fact that you're out there feeding the poor, doing whatever it is you idiots do. We just don't want, we just don't want you to disrupt our system. Got a picture here of Smith and Denton. They wrote a book uh, called, I think it's called Searching for the Searching Souls. Um, it was a book about uh, youth religion. Um, and what it noted was that there was, a, there was this huge cohort of American young evangelical Christians uh, who basically depart the faith as soon as they go to school, as soon as they go to college. And they were kind of wondering why that is. Like, why, why do they just... You know, or they become super, you know, nominal, like, oh, yeah, I like Jesus, but I don't go to church, whatever. And what they found, they found that, that the vast majority of these people in this cohort, these young adults who uh, left the faith, is that they um, had gone to churches where what was taught was what um, Smith and Denton call uh, moralistic therapeutic deism. That is, every Sunday, a guy would get up, usually male, and he, would get, he was very, very good-looking, very engaging, um, told fascinating stories. Everybody loved him. But what the substance of what he would say would be like, God loves you and wants you to be happy. And one of the reasons you're not happy is your finances are a mess. Here's three rules for fixing your finances. One of the reasons you're not happy is that your marriage isn't perfect. Here's five ways to make your marriage better. And the, the, these these students, they came to realize that what was actually being taught that Christianity was, that faith was, faith is really just uh, Jesus helping you discover who you are and make yourself feel good and have a successful, happy life. And at these churches, uh, no one would talk about things like Things like sexuality. Things like, well, they, you know, the purpose for male and female genitalia. No, we'll talk about it. It was just sort of ignored. Because what was really important was making sure that you go home, you feel good, and your life is getting better. And so these students realized, I don't need Jesus for that. In fact, if I hang on to Jesus, he comes with a whole lot of hang-ups that I don't like. And I don't want to be a hater and a bigot. We don't care if you teach, guys. We don't care if you heal. We don't care if you help. Just don't do it in his name. the next part of living by lies, living not by lies. The powers water down orthodox faith. 
so that it's more, nothing more than self-help and Jesus. <laughs> so there they are. The Twitter mob is about to ruin their lives. And Peter and the apostles realize that all they have to do is say, I'm sorry. You're right. We made a big mistake. We'll, we'll lay off the teaching that's going to put a hole in your big, beautiful truth. And then you'll leave us alone and we'll, we'll be okay and we'll have a good, happy life. This is what they say. We must obey God rather than men. The God of our ancestors raised up Jesus, the one you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as ruler and savior. I've capitalized those because um, they are absolutely, what you're saying is you, Jerusalem Council, you're not the real rulers. You're not the real saviors of the people. This man you killed was. So he could, he could give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we're witnesses to those things. We're witnesses. We saw it. You can't, it's, you're asking us to deny the very thing that was right in front of our eyes, and we're not going to do it. We're not going to let you determine if this big grand truth is more important and more credible than the things we saw with our very own eyes. We're not going to stand for it. And not only that, but we've got the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit is testifying to these things. And everyone who obeys Jesus starts to realize that his testimony is true, real, pure, good. And yours is nonsense. And we will not live by your lies. When the authorities heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill Brothers and sisters, we may be walking into a time of cultural darkness. I believe that, in my heart of hearts, I believe that it's going to happen sooner or later. I would prefer it to be later so that Alice and Olivia could deal with it instead of me. Um, but it doesn't look like that's the case. It looks like it's starting very soon, right now. And we are called at Coast Bible Church to be the little church on the hill, a little shelter a little shelter of truth, a little place where truth can still flourish. The truth about who Jesus is, who God is, who humanity is, what we're called to be. It's our calling. It's the calling of this generation. Live not by lies. Uh, last point uh, there. God always protects his church. Our job is faithfulness to the truth of the gospel no matter what. I think that we can all agree on that. The question is how? The question is what kind of systems do we put in place so that we can live as the apostles live, see the church thrive in the midst of a culture that is determined to destroy it? To that end, um, this is uh, Live Not By Lies. Uh, the, this sermon is based on the, the title of this book by uh, Rod Dreher. He's an Orthodox Christian. I've uh, pumped his book before. He um, interviews um, people from the Eastern Bloc who suffered under con communism but maintained uh, their Christian faith. Um, really like, uh, like Bob's wife, Mary. I mean, Mary, Mary is one of these people. She, she lived in 
you know, under Soviet oppression, saw her father, a, a faithful pastor, um, be persecuted. And so he, he says, he's sounding the alarm. He's like, okay, this is happening. What did these people do? These Orthodox Christians, these faithful people, what did they do? What kind of communities did they form so that they were ready to survive? And, and when they say survive, I mean pass it down to Levi. Pass it down to Juji. Pass it down to Haley. That's what he's talking about. Like, make sure Ryder doesn't depart the faith. So that they've got a, a network and a community where their lives aren't ruined so Keegan can surf and have an awesome time, but at the same time not, you know, give up on his, his faith, not, not lose the truth, not bow to the grand narrative. And I think, because I don't have all the answers, I, I would actually like to invite everybody here, especially you, you at home will, will provide Zoom as, as required, but I would really like to study this book. Um, and I would like to begin thinking biblically and with this book about what we're going to do as a church community to make sure that we remain orthodox and we pass it down to the youth. Rachel, Lucas, uh, in charge of the youth, they are absolutely 100% all about discipleship. Okay, And we as a community of faith need to be behind them, need to be offering them the resources they need to do this well. Because this is war. And so I would really like it. If you're interested, if you're interested in reading this book with me and starting to generate ideas, that's the first thing. Generate ideas for how we're going to develop a community that can resist faithfully, okay? And then what I'd like to do is I'd like to invite, you know, to to bring some of these ideas to Rachel and to Lucas and maybe have them be a part of it and say, how can we implement this? How can we make this happen so that our youth are inoculated, catechized? uh, Inoculated, yeah, that's a good word. Vaccine sort of, oh. We've got a lot of anti-vaxxers here. Okay. <laughs> but in a good way, like inoculated by ideas. Um, inoculated so that, that they, they're able to resist faithfully. And for those of you who've been a part of um, the theology uh, book study, I would really like us, you know, we're deciding where to go, I would like us to start aiming at the, the specific points of doctrine that the culture is pushing on. Okay, I would like us to look at a theology of race. I would like us to look at a theology of sexuality. I would like us to look at a theology of marriage. I would like us to look at a theology of biology, of human anthropology, what it is to be human, how God has designed us. I would like us to furnish those resources, those intellectual resources, so we can start deploying them to our kids. Because one of the things that uh, Smith and Denton found was, yeah, the kids dropped their faith immediately. But then they became people of total emptiness. Completely lost. That's why they call the book Searching Souls. There was nothing in the church that was exciting and adventurous and real and radical. And so they went off to other places to find those things. And not only did they never come back to church, they became empty souls themselves. My friends, we must live not by lies. And over the next year, I am asking us as a congregation to figure out how best to do it. Let's pray. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for the example of the apostles. 
their boldness and their fearlessness in the face of violent and powerful institutional elites. We praise you, God, for their martyrdom, and we praise you for the way that you're rewarding your martyrs in heaven. Lord, we pray for this culture, this, this country. We pray against um, the lies that have infected our elites. And God, we do pray that you will create and you will foster this place, coast, as a shelter from the storm. A haven of loving community that's real, that's grounded in the truth of who you are and who we are. And that in the next 50 years, Coast will remain Bible, grace, and family. That we'll look back at a legacy that could withstand the winds of change, that could withstand hostility, that could withstand a dying and sad culture of lies. May your truth settle deeply in our hearts and may we be bold and wise as we proclaim it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.